The title of this message is, What Does It Mean to Be Filled with the Spirit? Okay, look here in verse 15. Paul is writing to a big church in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. It's a church in the city of Ephesus, kind of a San Francisco of the day. He says in verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. It just basically means it's like has no cumulative value or real value whatsoever. It's just waste. But be filled with the, everybody say it, spirit, all right? Now, I'll tell you, in verse 19 down to verse 21, you get an idea of what it looks like to be filled with the spirit. And we'll talk about this, the process of being filled with the spirit as well speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another or preferring one another, okay, in the fear of God, which is basically like love people, you know? Love everyone, love every believer, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, you guys may have a seat at this time, but I want you to turn to John chapter three, all right? And we're gonna get started in this message. We're gonna come back to Ephesians chapter five in a little bit. Look, we've started our series, you know, on the personal work of Jesus more than a few times. With this passage in John chapter three, it's really one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. We learn that Jesus tells a Jewish leader by the name of Nicodemus, his name means conqueror, It's a really fantastic leader in Jerusalem. He's part of the main 70 leaders of the Sanhedrin. He is a part of a very strict religious sect. He's a Bible scholar. He's a moral man. Listen, he tells him, you must be born again, Nicodemus. Not only to see the kingdom of God. As a Jew, you're looking for the kingdom of God. You're looking for the throne of David to be established forever, okay? I mean, every every Jew is looking for this, the Messiah, and to for him to establish the kingdom of God on planet Earth. But he's saying, you're not gonna see the kingdom nor enter into the kingdom, even though you're a Jew, even though you're a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is awesome, right? But you're not gonna see this nor enter into it unless you're born again. And one way to understand this is that while God has created every single one of us, he now wants to recreate us with different DNA. And that DNA is actually divine nature indwelling us. And it tells us that the essence of God's will in life is actually knowing him. It's actually having relationship with him, not just knowing about him, but having a genuine, intimate relationship with with him. In fact, listen, the deepest longing of every single heart here, whether one realizes it or not, is actually a hunger for relationship with the Father. Deep down inside, we're all looking for the heavenly Father, looking to get back, it could be said, to the Garden of Eden. So when Jesus says to his fellow Jewish countrymen, you must be born again, whoa. It's like, really? Yeah, hey, descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, awesome. And I know you're looking for the kingdom. You want to be a part of it. You want to have right relationship with God, but you got to be born again. And if you just jump down to verse eight, because we've been you know, studying this, but we haven't looked at this aspect, Nicodemus asks, well, how can this take place? And Jesus answers 
uh, really pointing him to himself, that the key to being uh, born again, what needs to take place to be born again, actually is to have relationship with the Lord Jesus. And, and, and the way he does this is if you look at verse 14, okay, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be, what's the next word, you guys? Lifted up, which is a common idiom for crucifixion in the first century. It's like the Messiah is actually gonna be lifted up. I mean, okay, and this is like loaded ideas because Israel was rescued from these horrible snake bites in history and the Lord rose up a, bra- a, a bronze serpent. If you looked at it, your sins are forgiven. You got this play off this. The, the Messiah is gonna be lifted up and he's gonna take upon himself the stinking sins of the world, every sin in human history, from the Holocaust to the killing fields, to, to my pride and, and yours and everybody's. He's gonna pay the debt of sin. And he's, and he's ultimately going to create a, a, a new life and even a, a new world under his, under his reign of righteousness and justice. But it's like, the key is, the Son of Man being lifted up, okay, in verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Look at verse 16, okay, like one of the most famous verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting, everybody say it, life, right? Okay, watch this. Nicodemus, this great leader in Israel, fellow Jewish countrymen to Messiah actually believed that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and we don't have time to look at it, but if you go to John 19, verse 38 to 42, when Jesus was crucified, two Jews, two Jewish leaders who were very prominent first century, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus here, step forward, take Jesus off the cross. And, and, and prepare him for burial. And Joseph of Arimathea gave him his family tomb to be buried. But I just want you to get this. Please check this out, okay? For Jesus to say to Nicodemus, you must be born again. How do I be born again? You must believe and trust in Messiah who's gonna give his life on the cross. Now you talk about how that brings front and center the importance of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, you have to be born of the Spirit. And yet to be born of the Spirit, it's, it's I am placing my trust in the Messiah. And when I do place my trust in the Messiah, I am born of divine DNA. How many of you are tracking with me so far? Okay, only four of you. This worries me. No. Okay, I hope you get the idea. Now, here's, I'm just going to put up a big idea because we've talked about this. So what ends up happening is in Christ, the Holy Spirit ends up indwelling you. That took place in the, to Nicodemus as in every genuine Christian here. So like, gives you new identity, born again, new DNA, all right? Giving assurance of right standing with God who then becomes your Abba, who becomes your father. Now, we, we've like really looked at that in detail in past studies. For every genuine Christian, we've experienced what Nicodemus has experienced. We're indwelt by the Spirit, okay? Now, the Lord wants us to be filled with the Spirit. And there's a difference between being indwelt, 
Because that, that's the case with every believer. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But now he wants us to be filled with the Spirit. And that's where we get to Ephesians chapter 5. So I want you to go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, what would it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Let me try to give you some initial perspective. Okay, you're turning to Ephesians 5. When a person believes and trusts in Jesus, some wonderful things take place. Christ indwells them. And it could be said, please hear this, okay? It could be said, you have all of Christ, all the benefits of being rela- having a relationship with the Father and Jesus. You have his unconditional love. You have hope beyond the grave. You have his grace. You have the gifting that he gives. It's like you have this incredible, incredible life that is given in Christ. It's like we have all of Christ at the moment we receive the free gift of salvation. The question is, does Jesus have all of you? And that's a process. I mean, that speaks of growth. That speaks of daily growth. That speaks of the need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, when Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 5, we'll talk about this, uh, verse 18, and it's a command to be filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-time deal. In the original language, it carries the idea of being being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's say, for example, to try to illustrate this, this idea of what it is to be being filled with the Spirit. Let's say, for example, someone put like a billion dollars in your bank account. I'll be honest with you, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> but anyways, if they put a billion dollars in your bank account, it would take quite a while for you to experience or understand the value of what that means. I mean, we kind of have an idea, but that's a lot of money. You could help a lot of people with it, you know, whatever. And you could do a lot with that, right? Just going to take you a while, though, to enjoy or experience the value of it. It's like the moment Christ comes into our life, it's, it's, it's not the best metaphor. You've got a billion times, a billion times, a billion realities that are in Jesus, but now he wants you to experience it. And that's a daily reality. He wants you to be being filled with the Spirit. Please hear me. This is kind of more technical. It's not so much that we're filled with the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit actually brings to us afresh, like the fullness of God, what it means to be in Christ on a daily basis. And he wants to fill us afresh. Now watch this. Some of them might say, okay, I, okay, I, I think I, I'm getting what you're saying. I mean, Jesus tells Nicodemus, one of the greatest meetings in history, uh, he says, you've got to be born again, born of the Spirit. How do you do that? By having a relationship with Messiah. Get it. You get this new identity. I'm, I have biological DNA, but I have spiritual DNA. And he indwells me, and I have assurance I'm a king's kid. I mean, Fantastic. I got, there's real courage and comfort and joy in life as a result. And so you're saying that, yeah, he indwells you, but it's different than whether he fills you, like, like the winds fill a sail of a sailboat. Yeah, there's a difference there. This is a command now that on a daily basis we're being filled with the Spirit. Okay, I, I think I get what you're saying, kind of. Now, I want to introduce a big idea before we study the passage, okay? And it's in your notes. 
Because if you look at verse 18, because we're still talking about this, we're going to get more specific in just a little bit. If you look at verse 18, Paul says, do not be drunk with, can someone tell me? Wine, all right? Uh, in which is dissipation, it's just like a waste, but be filled with the Spirit. I mean, why that contrast there? And, and I have this in your notes, but there's this big idea that I want to introduce before we study the passage and talk further about how to be filled with the Spirit. But I want you to get this idea. There's a clear contrast between being intoxicated and being Spirit-filled. While being intoxicated by alcohol is often accompanied with feelings of comfort, joy, and courage, it's because inhibitions are removed and a person becomes blinded from the consequence of their actions. So if I get buzzed, yeah, I might have a sense of joy and comfort, but it's it's because my inhibitions have dropped. I've, I've actually been numbed. I've been desensitized. I might have a courage, right? But, but the courage is um, a courage that's not based on reality because I'm actually not seeing the consequences of my decisions. So really what ends up happening is, is that intoxication numbs, it dumbs, it desensitizes a person from reality. Okay, watch this. On the other hand, to be filled with the Spirit is to experience true comfort, joy, and courage, not because one has been numb to reality, but because the Spirit reveals to us the greatest realities in life which are in Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's like the Holy Spirit, it could be said, shines the truth of what real reality is, ultimate reality, transcendent reality that we're all really longing for, that is in the Messiah, that's in the Lord Jesus. Therefore, hey, I have a genuine comfort and it's based upon truth and I have a genuine joy. It's based upon truth and I have a genuine courage in life and therefore, my heart rises in worship, thankfulness and love, not only to God, but to other people. Can I hear an amen to that? That's the big idea. So we're kind of just hovering over this. Now let's dig in, okay? Let's look at this. Look at verse 15. And let me just say before we do, man, we need to be filled with the Spirit like all the time. We need to be being filled. We need it like right now, today, every single one of us. Super important. All right, let's break this down. Look at verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The term walk there means more than kind of locomote. It, it is a word that speaks of how one regulates or conducts their life. And what Paul is saying is, he's like, look, what, what God wants us to do is he wants us to be circumspect, which means he wants us to live with a sense of intentionality with how we live. Okay, see then that you walk, kind of how you conduct your life with a sense of intentionality and precision. It's very, very important, very essential, okay? And then he contrasts, not as fools, but as, can someone tell me, wise, right? Okay, let's talk about this. First, like, okay, if he's like locomote, behave, your lifestyle, you know, with a sense of intentionality, not as a fool, but as wise. And what does that mean? 
Well, let's look at it in the broader context of Scripture. Like, let's bring in Proverbs into this and ask, well, what is a fool? Because Proverbs is a bunch of wisdom application, gives us principles for life. Enlightenment to the right application of life. Ethical teachings, very important. Um, When Paul speaks of fool here, is he talking about such principles and such application? Well, uh, in general, yes, but it's even more specific than that. Like, for example, if you go to Proverbs, you're going to see that a fool is identified basically in three ways. A fool is someone that's not teachable. They don't listen. I mean, Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Um, Proverbs seventeen twenty four: a fool basically is someone who's looking for God replacements and think that there are legitimate options that exist. So they're like roaming the world, looking for at created things to accomplish what only God can accomplish in their life. Proverbs seventeen twenty four says, a discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the end of the earth Basically, never find what they're really looking for. And then Proverbs 14, 6 says, The wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. This is telling us that a fool um, actually only listens when there's a crisis. There's, There's no sense of respect with regard to the consequence of choices and decisions unless there's intense pain, unless They have fallen. Oh, then they kind of wake up, you see. Now he's saying, look, see then that you walk intentionally, not as a fool, okay. But, but but and it means those things, but it means more than those things, really. If we were to ask, well, who is the wise? Let's talk more immediate context. And the wise person is the one who has received the greatest application of life. And that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. I mean, in the context of this book, he's saying that the true wise individual who has the application for life. I mean, yeah, listening is important. Yeah, honoring and respect is important. Sure, that's, that's wisdom. And the absence of those things is being a fool. But like real, like the greatest wisdom of all is to know who Jesus is, to receive him as your Lord and Savior and live like it today. That's kind of the argument of the book. And therefore, the fool in the most immediate context or the ultimate foolishness is actually to disregard Jesus. That's what he's saying. Walk intentionally, not as a fool, but as wise. Look at verse 16, redeeming the time. Well, interestingly, the word time carries the idea of opportunity or special moments. There's actually two Greek words for time. Uh, and one is time on the clock, chronos, and the other is, speaks of like what the chief priorities and values are in life, which is the term karyos, all right? So, and I've mentioned this before. Let's say, for example, you're watching a basketball game. There's time on the clock, but if you're gonna win the game, you gotta seize the, 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 the right moments. You gotta make sure you get the defensive rebounds, offensive rebounds, you're good in the paint and all these different things, and you know, you're probably gonna win if you do those things, You're going to be be seizing, buying up the chief opportunities that is going to advance what you want advanced. Time on the clock is something totally different. And he's not saying, this is like, 
you know, just every moment be busy. What he's saying is we got to redeem the most important priorities and values in life. Um, and, and what would they be? Well, I mean, in general, it would be like, for one, it's, it's for sure going to know the Lord and honor him and walk with him, be his hands and feet, live for his glory. It would be to be a godly husband, godly wife. It'd be, it would be family. It would be the issues of love because love never fails. It's eternal. It's always redemptive, always good. It would be perseverance, man. I, I'm just gonna hold to the faith, stand on what is true. I mean, it's all these godless currents. I mean, and, and unless I actually recognize and identify those chief values and priorities, I mean, Unless, unless I'm in buying up those things, I'm just going to find myself due to the sheer speed of life just w- with my life just passing by um, and not experiencing really what the Lord wants me to experience. Uh, and really, in the more immediate context, to redeem the time is really to redeem the opportunities to know Christ, to grow in Christ, to grow more like Christ, to make Jesus known. And therefore, it would mean, I'm telling you with Paul, an application, of, like if you're here for the first time, it would mean if you're going to redeem the time, if you're going to buy up what the chief priorities and values are, it's like, my goodness, front and center would, would come, what are you going to do with Jesus who gave his life for you, resurrected, ascended, demonstrate he's the king and that he's coming again and everything is moving towards him, all right? Now, look, verse 16, good job, you guys, good students. He's saying, look, you gotta redeem the time. You better buy it up because the days are evil. And defined in context, it kind of leads you back to Ephesians 2, 2, which tells us, I mean, these days are under the control of the prince of the power of the air who is opposed to God and his purposes. Now, you say, are, are you implying that there are unseen influences that influence the material realm? Oh, absolutely. The Bible makes that very clear. I mean, the smartest men who have ever lived, uh, John Van Newman, uh, mentioned that he, he knows that there are unseen influences that influence the material realm. I mean, there's definitely a spiritual battle. There's no doubt about it. The question becomes, to what extent is the spiritual world influencing our lives? Because he's just saying, look, we better buy up the chief priorities and values, namely like know Christ, follow him, glorify him, be filled with the spirit. Why? Because, man, the days, the days are evil. If you turn on the television and you watch the news, the news is an attempt to explain life through the lens of economic realities, biological realities, political realities, social realities, cultural realities, but not spiritual ones. I mean, to what extent does like the unseen realm influence our life? Well, clearly there's an unseen realm to the naked eye in many levels, from ideology to, to bi- biological issues. I mean, we're really concerned about the Ebola virus, you know, that we can't see with the naked eye. But the question really has to do more with than just biological viruses and unseen ideological realities. He says the days are evil. And I'll put it this way, there are certain godless currents that are slowly but surely influencing. 
I mean, we probably have all been to the beach and we know what a current is like. And, and you know, I grew up around the beach in Southern California and I, I just, I, I didn't like the feeling of kind of awakening and looking at the beach and, and, no, and, and seeing that I've drifted down the beach. I just didn't like that, that sense. And so I would, on a, on a consistent basis, look at where my towel was or where my, where my sack lunch was. And one of the reasons was because people were trying to rip it off. But anyways, you know, it's just like, you know, I'm just like trying to like keep, okay, this is where I need to be. And it's like, well, look, there's these, look, there are these unseen currents that are not our friend, the friend of your marriage, the friend of your children, the friend of your, you know, of, of your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. And, and it's not like we say, oh, well, there's that current, and I see it with the naked eye. It's ideological, it's spiritual, it's narcissism, it's relativism, it's hedonism, sensualism, uh, relativism. I mean, these things... Are, are not any of our friends by any stretch of the imagination. So what Paul is saying, okay, and we're really going to hone in on what it is to be filled with the Spirit, but he's just saying, look, and you have to walk with a certain intentionality. You better make a distinction between what is foolish and what is wise. And you got to redeem the time. I mean, there's time in the clock, but then there's like the chief priorities. You've got to seize. You've got to like buy them up. <laughs> it's like yesterday, our children were shopping and they noticed that these lar bars are on sale, you know? So they just like bought the whole box, you know what I mean? They just bought it up. And, and that's kind of the idea. We better buy up what the chief values and priorities are because the days are evil. And look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, okay? D- don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I mean, it's almost as if Paul is saying, you know what? You know what the will of God is. The will of God is this really big idea and reality, this comprehensive concept that the content of which, that his plan and purpose is to bring all things together in Christ and therefore live like it today. Because the greatest reality of all is who God is in truth and what he's doing in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Hey, can I hear an amen to that? So therefore... It's like, don't be unwise. I mean, just understand what the will of the Lord is. In a way, he's saying, you do know what the will of the Lord is. Therefore, you need to live like it. Now, please hear me. Someone might be thinking, you know, well, how, how do I know if I'm in this? Like, how do I really know I'm a Christian or I have these realities and this truth and this promise and this guarantee. I want you to keep your finger. I want you to turn over real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, okay? So I just want to make a few comments here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, look, if you're a Christian, it, it means actually that God is preparing you for a world ultimately in Christ and his glory. So the question that we need to ask is, well, how do, how do I know, or how do we know if actually we're citizens of this kingdom today? If everything is moving towards Jesus, how do we really know we're in? We're in Christ. We're locked into this. And the answer is because 
you experience like new management in your life right now. And there's signs of that. There are certain realities that are going to be taking place in the here and now that would give you confidence. You're a citizen of like when the Lord makes all things new in himself. And what you have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which is often read kind of like an um, entrance exam, you know, whether you're going to get to heaven or not type of a thing, but that's not really how you need to read it. it. It more is identifying what changes that would indicate how someone is in fact indwelt by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Spirit. And, and I'm referring to verse 9. Please jump down there, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He says, look, he said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived on this. Okay, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed and you were sanctified, set apart, made holy. You were justified, just as if you never sinned, in the name of the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit of our God. Now, now watch this. Okay, we read this list, and, and, and generally when you read it, your eyes kind of focus in on the sexual issues here. I mean, it says, look, don't be deceived. He talks about, you know, fornicators, so it's sexual issues, idolaters, not so much, but it's usually associated with sexual immorality in the first century. Adulterers, homosexual, sodomites. All right. Um, hey, aren't you glad you came this morning? <laughs> Happy things to talk about, right? Hold on. Watch this. Watch. Very important. Generally, we focus in on those issues. Oh, man, yeah. You know, whether it's heterosexual sin, homosexual sin or stuff, we focus in the sexual issues there, right? However, he mentions covetous, which means those who are intoxicated by materialism. We don't usually think of that. We, revilers, um, people who are really abusive with their language, which makes, speaks of slanders and gossips. Extortioners, we think of someone who cons another, but it refers to ruthless business practices. And the question to ask is, based on this passage, if there's not a fundamental change, actually, in the area of sex, money, and power, how can one have a confidence that they're actually in Christ, that you will be in Christ in his kingdom? You see, in a Christian's life, there's this fundamental change that takes place with regard to these issues. I view sex differently. Um, not I use sex, I don't even know how to say it, but sex is totally a different thing. It's an expression of love and intimacy with my spouse. It's procreative, it has to do with community. It's others oriented rather than indulgent, 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 indulgent. Wreckage, 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 wreckage. Money I see different, power I see different, my mouth I see different. I mean, I don't want to be a downer or anything, but I just want to make a point. Because what talks about people who are like revilers, could be slanders or gossips, I mean, um, I mean, I've been in the church family and the community for so many years. I've had a few secular jobs, but very few. But, I, I, I mean, I, you know, I've known people who've named the name of Christ who were incredibly abusive with their, with their mouth. Horrible gossipers and slanders, but they carried a big Bible, man. And they said, amen. And, you know, it's just like, well, let me tell you something. 
I mean, that's a stinking sin too. Hey, can I hear an amen to that? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, that's a sin too. And the point is, hey, I know, actually, I'm in Christ. And it's like, I, I, I got the wisdom. I got the revelation. Because it's going to be evident in my life in the here and now. And I would have, one should have no confidence that actually you're a citizen of this kingdom unless there's fundamental change when it comes to sex, money, and power. All right? Now, go back to verse 18. Now, why does Paul now insert, do not be drunk with wine, which leads basically to waste? Why does he say that? He, he says it for a few reasons. One is because in the broader context of Ephesians, which, by the way, we're going to start studying in depth in about three weeks, okay, and we'll get this all the more, drunkenness is kind of the poster child of ignorance, it's the poster child of darkness and an unregenerate life. That's one of the reasons. He said, I mean, don't be, he just don't be buzzed and drunk. And, and look, I mean, the, the worship of Dionysus and Bacchus in the first century was so big. It was so associated with stupidity and abuse of women and human beings and, and you know, leading to all kinds of debauchery and stuff. But it's almost in context like, hey, don't be drunk with wine. I don't think it's primarily because the church in Ephesus were having a problem with this. I don't, I don't think so like the Corinthians were, interestingly, but he's, he's, he's just saying, look, this is a poster child to ignorance. It's a poster child to not being born again, if you will. It's a poster child to just waste. I mean, it's a poster child to the absence of value. I mean, getting buzzed has no cumulative value whatsoever. As we talked about earlier, the joy that the intoxication brings, it's because inhibitions are removed. The courage that intoxication brings is because one is actually blinded from the consequences of choices. So it just numbs us and it dumbs us and desensitizes the person from reality. And it's really, really dangerous because the Bible says wine is a mocker and strong drink is a brawler and whoever is led astray by it, hey, it's not wise, right? Of course, we know in the United States, this is a big problem. Alcohol is responsible for almost 100,000 deaths, 25,000 by drunk drivers alone, 6 million non-fatal injuries, and more than 100 billion economic losses, such as unemployment and loss of productivity. But look, watch this. I mean, well, that's... that's getting buzzed. That's intoxication, which is this poster child for just waste. To be filled with the Spirit, oh man, that's awesome. Because that leads to greater understanding of the greatest realities of life, which are in Christ. It leads to thoughtfulness. It leads to love. It leads to care to others. And therefore, I need to be filled. Greg Denham needs to be filled every single day. And we all do with the Holy Spirit. And technically, being filled with the Spirit is actually the Holy Spirit bringing to us the fullness of the glory of the Father in Christ. It's like he mediates the fullness of God in Christ to the believer. And as a result, it transforms our life and grows us to be more like the Lord. And the Holy Spirit is just really good at what he does and therefore, look at verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. And it kind of gets back to that big idea. Oh my goodness, 
hey, when we are, we, we therefore experience genuine comfort because I know the Lord's with me. Like, look up here for a second. Okay, watch this. Here's, here's the truth. Do you know as a Christian the Lord indwells you? All right, you know that. Accept that right now, right? You know, he said, the Lord did, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Accept that right now. I mean, I know you know that ideologically, but accept it afresh. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring that truth afresh to your heart. Hey, watch this. All things are working together for the good to those who love God and are called according to your purpose. You, we really believe that? It's like the Lord works with our choices, but he actually even works despite our choices. We just do our best in the here and now. It's like you talk about a source of incredible joy. It's like, oh, I got the best heavenly father. It's like, you're awesome. So just be being filled with the spirit, you see. And that brings genuine comfort, genuine joy. Doggone it, it brings genuine courage because I'm a king's kid. If God's for me, who can be against me? So therefore, the question becomes, how does it take place? How do you be filled? Look, you ready for this? You believe the greatest wisdom that there is, the greatest revelation there is. You believe today Jesus is true. And you believe today who you are in Jesus Christ. Because without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to please God. And there are certainly degrees to understanding this. We need the Lord's help. We need to look to the Spirit to enlighten our understanding. But you know what? It's really having the truth of Christ, the word of Christ dwelling richly in our life. And what Paul would say is this. When that takes place, there's three realities that take place, okay? And, and actually, this is one sentence, all right? If you look at Ephesians chapter five, please uh, note with me. He says here in, in verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, which is just waste. Be filled with the spirit, okay? And what does it look like? I'm um, speaking to one another. In Psalms, Psalms actually is the Jewish handbook on worship, and actually, truth be told, we were singing psalms today. There were, that first song we sung, I'm sorry, I can't remember it now, but I, I remember searching, researching, was actually a quote of a psalm. Um, and I'll figure that out in just a little bit. Oh, actually, actually, it was Psalm 103. You know, bless the Lord, oh my soul. That's Psalm 103, okay? So, so it's like, hey, it's like, go vertical, you know, speak, communicate, you're celebrating the truth of who God is in like the Jewish handbook of worship, you know, of the Psalms. And, and then hymns, well, hymns biblically has all to do with redemption in Christ. Spiritual songs all has to do with just celebrating the big muscles of Almighty God. Please hear me. When someone is spirit-filled, here's the sign. There's worship, I'm telling you right now. There's joy in the heart. How can there not be? There's celebration. I mean, you know, we get excited with all our heart, man, when Kaepernick throws a touchdown or he, he runs 90 yards for one. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, all right, with our heart. How can a person not go vertical in the celebration of who God is, vocalizing their love and praise to God when they're filled with the Spirit? It's just indicative of being filled with the Spirit. It's a sign of it. But please hear me. It's also a part of the process of being filled with the Spirit. 
Because there's sometimes, man, I, I, that's why one of the reasons I love me, being with my church family, because, and, and, and to be frank with you, I sit up here in the front, you guys were singing very beautiful today. I, I don't know if you heard that, but sometimes it may be hard to hear in certain parts of the sanctuary, but I was blessed by that. We're actually just speak to one another. It's like this worship has a vertical and horizontal benefit to it. Watch this. If someone were to ask you, are you spirit-filled? Or someone were to ask, um, hey, is our church spirit-filled? Here's the list, the essential list. No mention of spiritual gifts here. Unless we want to tuck it in, we could, and we'll talk about it later. But there's no mention of tongues, which I believe in, but it's, that's up to God's spirit-giving person. Um, there's no mention of miracles here. They could be here because they're all over the book of Acts. But the reason they're not here is because they're not the essentials of what it actually means to be filled with the Spirit. It's, it's, we're talking worship and we're talking giving thanks. I just love this. Giving thanks to, like the, to the Lord, to the Father actually because it, he's the one that like thought all of this and sent his son and draws us by the Holy Spirit. So speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Oh, um, here's the sign of actually someone who's spirit-filled. It isn't in essence whether you have a spiritual gift or not. All you have to do is study Corinthians. You know, they were really gifted spiritually, but there's an absence of love for God and for one another. A genuine, spirit-filled believer expresses their love to the Lord in community. We need each other. We benefit from that. A part of the process of being spirit-filled, I was saying earlier, just showing up for worship. I mean, sometimes, you know, you're coming in with burdens or you're coming in with just having, dealing with life. But as you just begin to, I mean, go for it. I mean, you're responding to the goodness of God and the grace of God and you're giving voice to who he is. It's like, that's a process as well of the Holy Spirit filling our sails, if you will. C.S. Lewis, a great Oxford professor, said, you know, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not only expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is, it's, it's in its appointed consummation. It is its appointed consummation. What is that, that I'm just, I'm giving thanks and I'm praising the Lord. And, and you know, it's my prayer that we are actually genuinely a spirit-filled church. And if you notice in verse 29, giving thanks always for all things, actually to God the Father, because behind the gospel is the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus. I'll be frank with you, that's so loaded that we'll talk about and study it in more detail in the months ahead because we're going to study Ephesians. Um, But just, golly, the importance of just giving thanks. I mean, you know, the Bible says, I'll praise the name of God with a song and magnify him with thanksgiving. Look, <laughs> someone who's, who's being filled with the fullness of God, where the Holy Spirit's bringing the truth of who Jesus is and who we are in Christ, how can there not be thanksgiving? And when there is, it's just like a consummation of enjoyment of who he is. And when you give thanks, you're magnif- it's like you're magnifying him, even though he's really big and he's already just magnified, right? But 
He's magnified in your own life through thanksgiving. Hey, can I hear an amen to that, you guys? All right, and watch this, verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. We're gonna study this in, in detail in the months ahead. But, but look, it's really a segue to addressing the key relationships and roles in our life. And in short, it's the idea that all Christians, regardless of status, function, sex, or rank, are to serve one another in love. I mean, I, I, can, I cannot say I'm spirit-filled if there, if, if there is not expression of love and respect in the key relationships of life, husband to wife, father to son, son to father, and so forth. It's just like, well, to be spirit-filled is gonna impact your worship, impact your gratitude and your attitude, and it's gonna impact clearly the chief, most important relationships of one's life. You know, we've tried to kind of capture what love looks like in one of our core values. And, and we state that the church is the most diverse family on planet earth. And there's gonna be differences among Christians. However, we, we're not gonna tear each other apart. We commit to unity in our diversity. We will be responsible local Christians and global Christians in the essentials unity, in the non-essentials liberty, but in all things love. Let me share something with you. Someone who is being filled with the Spirit and without Spirit's bringing the truth of who the Lord is. And it's like your mind's being renewed and you're growing more like Christ. It's, there's a purpose to maturity. Spiritual maturity is never an end in itself. Maturity is actually for ministry. We grow up in order to give out. It's not enough to keep learning more and more. We must act on what we know and practice what we claim to believe. It's like impression without expression is gonna cause depression. Study without service leads to spiritual stagnation. Point is, Paul is saying, you look at that list. It's like spirit-filled, it's gonna go vertical. It's like, Lord, thank you, my goodness, you created me and then you recreated me. I'm going vertical with this. That, that's, I mean, that's, that's a sign of someone whose heart's been won by the greatest love there is. And it's like, I'm giving you thanks, Father, Papa, because you are awesome. In the name of Jesus, big load of in all the realities that are in Christ that speak of how great the Father is. And then it's like submitting, preferring one another. It's a segue to all these roles. We'll get to it in our study in the weeks to come. But it's like, man, love, love for my spouse, love for my children, love for my fellow brothers in Christ. Hey, can I hear an amen to that? Good job, you guys. How does this message apply when we receive communion now? You know, Jesus really celebrating Passover um, took the bread and the cup and said, this, is, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. And, he wants a, and, 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 and it's, it's symbolic of the fact that God became a man. It's symbolic that he gave himself. It's symbolic that we're one with him. To eat with someone in Hebraic culture is like really a beautiful celebration of friendship and intimacy. So listen, this morning, if we truly discern the Lord's body, for which the Corinthians, this is another thing, but in Corinthians, we're not doing. If we truly discern and I eat that bread, I'm actually saying my chief identity is in Christ. 
afresh this morning. And my chief identity is his, I'm a part of his body, a member, and I'm actually in a church family, locally as well as universally. And, and I'm gonna love people and, and be kind and tenderhearted. I'm his hands and feet. It's like just a fresh, hey, look, in a lot of ways, to really receive communion as the Lord wants us to is to be being filled with the Spirit. And I'm gonna hold that cup that's symbolic that he paid the debt of every stinking sin in human history. It's a, it's a gift that he wants to give us. And it's like a fresh, like, Lord, you know what? There's a lot of influences in life. Um, you know, the weather influences, food influences, but I got this nature too, the sinful nature that I need your help with. And, and when I afresh drink that cup, I am celebrating that Jesus not only paid the debt of my sin, but power over sin. And I'm gonna take a stand today living out my sanctification. The absence of doing those things is, is, is just is waste. And it leads to waste. It's true. I mean, the Corinthians, we don't have time to really look at it, but... I'll read the passage a little bit later, but they weren't discerning the significance of the body and bread. And there was unnecessary, it was just waste. There was unnecessary pain that they were experiencing. But that's not what the Lord wants for us. If we truly discern the significance right now, then I can't help but be filled with the Spirit. And if you're filled with the Spirit, there's no room for what amounts to be being drunk or what is waste. It also means that I have fresh embrace, that I'm a part of something bigger than myself. I'm a part of the church family and, it, and, uh, and a church family. And let me just say this finally. Please hear me. The Holy Spirit is here and he is aggressively, he's aggressively going after you <laughs> to draw you to Jesus in intimacy with him. But if you're here for the first time, maybe, or maybe you come in billions of times, you've never opened your heart to Christ, please hear me. He's like after you because he totally loves you. And he knows what's best for you. And he wants to just lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like a Switchfoot song says, you know, a new way to be human. You better believe it. So therefore, be wise. Redeem the time. Come to Christ. Nicodemus did. And I pray that you will as well.